Sermon on the Mount is a great place to look as a representative, really, of how we approach all of Scripture in our society. Usually there's, when we come to the Word of God, about three, three different approaches, give or take, that we kind of uh, orient ourselves when we come to God's Word. The first we could say is we come to God's Word and we see it as, okay, give me, show me what I'm supposed to do, and I'll make a list, a mental list, and I'll, I'll do it. I'll, uh, I'll have my checklist, I'll keep it in my back pocket, and I'll, I'll check it off. And I'll feel good about myself if I'm doing good, or I feel bad about myself if I'm doing bad, but I'll keep trying, and I'm going to put it on my shoulder, and I'm going I'm to do this thing. It's a, it's a list of rules that I'm supposed to try to keep to make God like me. Or, on the other side of things, we can come to God's Word, and, and, and we read it, and we say, there's no way. I might as well close it now and go about something else with my life because there's no way I'm going to be able to live up to the standard that I see set forth in these pages. Or there's a third way where we kind of say, you know what, I like this part because that's right where I am. And especially since uh, somebody's done this to me, I'm going to really memorize this part and I'll use it against them next time they do it to me. I like this part over here. But I don't like this part, so I'm just going to kind of skip over that or ignore it or kind of lighten it up a little bit to fit maybe more of what um, the way I live life. Well, you do that when you read the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of those, this is one of the, the passages of Scripture that is quoted most in our society. You see things uh, that talk about things that, 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 that are, are virtuous in our culture. You know, don't, don't harbor anger in your heart towards others. Be reconciled to your brother. You're like, yeah. That, like that, you know, we need, we need to see more of that in our in our world today. Or the the one of the most quoted verses in chapter seven of "Judge not, lest you be judged." You hear that all the time, TV, news, wherever wherever you look, and uh, it's usually out of context. Um, you see things about uh, marriage upholded, of, of love your enemies, things like that. That that we in our, our society say, yay. That's us. We, we want to do it. We can make a list of things, and we'll try to keep these things. Or we'll choose some of them and ignore the rest. But there's also things that are, that are hard. There's things that say in chapter six and 5 and 6 where Jesus talks about, listen, none of you may have murdered somebody, but I'm saying if you've been angry at somebody in your heart, then you're as guilty as a murderer. You say, ooh, I don't know if I like that one. Or... Okay, I, I can get the, the divorce thing, but Jesus says if you've looked lustfully at a woman, then you've, you've basically in your heart committed adultery. Like, ooh, that's, that's a little bit too stringent, Jesus. You're, you're a good teacher, Jesus, but that was a little bit too far. I know you're just trying to make a point, so I'll just try to, to live, live my life the best I can. Well, I want to deal with all three of those. The third one, where we take and pick and choose, I want to deal with that last but the first two, really, I think, are some of the context for why Jesus even preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Because if you look up above chapter 5 in your Bibles, back into chapter 4, we get a context of who Jesus is talking to and of why he's preaching the things he's preaching in this sermon. And it starts in, in chapter 4, verse 17, where it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus has has risen to the time in his life where he's going to take on his public and begin his public ministry. And so he begins the message of, of the gospel, of repent and believe on me, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then to, to display that, it says in, in verses 23 and following of chapter 4 that he starts to heal all kinds of people, bringing tangibly a visible representation of, look, the kingdom is at hand, and these are the kind of things, these kind of restorations that are signs of the kingdom. But before he does that, he begins to call to himself uh, what we know of as the disciples. And if you read it in chapter 4, verse 18, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. My thinking of this passage, um, which is repeated in the other Gospels, and especially when I was studying the Gospel of Mark, was changed a couple of years ago when I started to wrestle with the fact that, that that's just not normal. For somebody to come by and say, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, and for somebody to give up their business and their livelihood and just start walking and following someone. So I was thinking, okay, well, there must be more to it than what I'm seeing on the surface. What's going on here? And as I began to study specifically the passage in Mark, I realized something, that these guys were Israelites. They were Jews who had been... For years and years and years, a story had been passed down of their people and of what the Creator God had been doing through their people. And we talked about that a lot last year as we talked about who this God is and what He was up to in His plan of redemption. Well, these guys, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and, and many of the other, other, other disciples, had been waiting on this promised one that would come and bring this long-awaited restoration. Now, they thought that it was going to be a real tangible kingdom. Whoever was going to come was going to wipe out the Romans, and they were going to ascend to the throne and take over things and set up the kingdom. And, you know, they would probably do it by military might, some sort of a revolution. So when Jesus comes along, and they've been waiting on him, they've been looking forward to him, they've studied about him, and he says, well, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. That term, if you go back and look at how it's used in the Old Testament, fishers of men, is, is not a nice term. It's a, a war-like term. Fishers of men always speaks of the judgment of God to be caught, to be taken, is always uh, used in the, in, in the context of God's wrath. And so what, it, there's, what, what I think they're thinking when they hear that is, it's go time, boys. Here's our leader. Here's our revolutionary leader. Throw our nets down. It's time. Here he comes. Well, but the kingdom was coming in a different way than they ever would have thought. Now you've got in the disciples the representative of the approaches that I just talked to you about. You've got the extremes. You've got Peter, right, who says, Jesus, if everybody else falls away, I will follow you, no matter what it means. He's the one of... Hey, give me the list of things to do, and I'll do it in my own strength. I'm that kind of a guy, Jesus. And so Jesus says about preaching the Sermon on the Mount to tell the Peters in the group of disciples, 
No, you can't. Not on your own. You cannot do this. Let me tell you what the kingdom is like, what the life of a disciple is like. Well, you've also got in the group of disciples, you've got the people like Thomas, who is always the one that was doubting, right? Always the one that's like, Jesus, you say, you say that you'll show us the way, but we don't know the way. How are we going to do this thing? We can't do this. And Jesus says, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You do know the way, Thomas, because you know me. So you've got the extremes of the I can do it and the there's no way I can do this represented in this group of followers that we call the disciples. And so Jesus is preaching to both sets of followers saying, Peter's, you can't do this on your own, not by your own merit, not by your own work. But he's saying, Thomas's, those of you that look and it's, it's too much, you can't do it. He's saying, you're exactly right. But it's okay because I've done it. And if you know me, and if you're trusting in what I've done, then you can live this life of discipleship that I'm calling you to. We set it forth, and he starts with something that we know of as the Beatitudes. So let me read them. We're just going to get started today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We're going to stop there today because in those few verses we see the character of a disciple. Jesus lays out, this is what a disciple looks like. This is the character the disciple has. And he says, if you have this this, this character, then these kind of effects show up in your life. And then next week we'll look at, if you have this character and you start to see these effects, that these are the results. And the results are things like persecution and being salt and light and things like that that we'll look at next week. But... Today, I just want to look at those two things. The character of a disciple that Jesus is describing here. If you're a disciple, this is what it looks like. Peter is not what you think. Thomas is not what you think. It's this. And then he's also going to say, and if, if you have this stuff working in your life, then these are the effects of it. What, are the, what is the character? Three things in the first few verses there. Blessed, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy, satisfied fulfilled, just as you are all to be. You'll be blessed if you are poor in spirit, if you have an attitude of self-acknowledged weakness. You know your weakness. It's not a, a weakness as far as physical strength or anything like that. It's a spiritual neediness. It's a, a knowledge, an intimate knowledge of the depth of your sin, an intimate acquaintance with the fact that you are unable to reform yourself. Now think about it, he's speaking to Peter, and he's speaking to Thomas, and he's saying, Thomas, you're right, you can't do this on your own. Peter, you're wrong, you can't do this on your own. Part of being a disciple is an intimate awareness that you in and of yourselves are weak. We think we know our sin, but when we go to the scriptures, 
and we truly study it and it truly makes an impact on our hearts, we're undone. And it shows us just how deep the roots of sin go. Just as an example, Jesus talks in this passage, in this sermon, about anxiety later on. And we'll study it in depth, but just, just to scratch the surface, anxiety is something that we all struggle with. And for some of us, anxiety up underneath our worry is the struggle for, for comfort. We were talking back there at the, at the table beforehand of, uh, of how we hate storms. We were, you know, in St. Simon's this weekend on a retreat with the young adults, and here comes Beryl, you know, um, on, off the coast of St. Simon's. I hate storms. I, it's part of it for me, up under that anxiety, up under that wor- uh, worry, is the idea of comfort. I had a plan. <laughs> You know, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to have to live with the lights off and and have to, you know. I mean, my kids are used to sound machines. I've spoiled them rotten, okay. And for the sound machine goes off, then everybody's up, and I'm getting sleep. It's that lack of the desire for comfort. But for some of us, it's not comfort, but it's the idea of control or power. I'm I I worry. I'm anxious because up underneath there's this root of sin that's I want to be in control. I want things to be like I want them. For some of us, the, the worry, the, the idea of anxiety comes from our deep need for acceptance. I worry what you're thinking about me right now because I want you to like me. And if you don't like me, then I'm going to go out here devastated. It's that kind of root sin up under worry. So, yes, we all worry, but there's many, many things that even drive that worry. The roots of sin go down deep. And the more we're confronted with God's word, the more we see the depth of our sin. And that is what Jesus is talking about. Knowing that, knowing what you are on your own, produces this idea of being poor in spirit. I can't do it by myself. And Jesus says that's good. That's part of of, of the character of a disciple. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The idea of mourning here isn't that you're just a weepy person. And I know some, and you know some of those people. We had a fellow a couple years ago, and she was here, I'd, 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 I'd uh, joke with her. But uh, that in the first two minutes of my interview with her to be a, come be a fellow with us for nine months, she broke down crying, and she just, in the midst of her tears, she said, it's okay, you didn't say anything, I'm just do this. And sure enough, all year long, you know, she, she's very emotional and so tender, so sweet. But I'm not, he's not talking here about people that are just emotional people. He's saying, no, the idea of mourning here is grief over our sin that leads to hatred of our sin that leads to turning from our sin. That's the idea here of, of the, the mourning of our sins. And it can be mourning over our own sins. I remember when I was a, a youth director, I took a bunch of youth down to a conference that we used to have in, in uh, Panama City. They still have it, I think. But John Stone, who was an RUF campus minister, was, was teaching that year. And he, in the midst of him telling us about the, how deep our sin was, he told this story about how he knew this guy that had murdered these, these people, but before he murdered these girls, he had raped them, and all this terrible stuff. And we were all just like, wow, you know, who's this guy? This is amazing. And then he went a step further, and he said, hey, I'm going to shock you with something. I'm that guy. And we were all, I mean, he had us believing that we were just, good gracious, who is he up here teaching if he's done these things? And then he turned around and he said, so are you. And then he started quoting some verses from the Sermon on the Mount, saying, if you've looked lustfully with a girl at a girl, and then you've committed adultery. You have, without her permission, done things to her in your mind. 
that is just like equivalent to raping her. And if you have anger in your heart, Jesus said you're as good as a murderer. So he was showing us the depth of our sin in a very vivid way, in a way that hit home with all of us. Well, that's what he's saying here, the mourning of our sin. If you're poor in spirit, if you have an inkling of the depth of your sin, then you're going to hate it. You're going to grieve over it, and it's going to cause you to turn from it. But not only our own sins, sometimes we mourn over the sins of our brothers and sisters. Of We see in our brothers and sisters rebellion that's, that's against Jesus, who we love, and is causing grief in his bride, um, the church. So we grieve over that. Sometimes we grieve over societal sins, as, as Amos did, and saying, hey, this injustice can't happen. It grieves the heart of God. And sometimes we grieve over, as Jesus did in Matthew 23, we grieve over the in, uh, people's indifference to the gospel. When Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to take you up into my arms. He's grieving over the indifference to the gospel that Jerusalem has. So we're poor in spirit. We, we get a, a sense of the depth of our own sin, and it causes us to mourn over it, and that causes us to be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are people that know their spiritual poverty, and it drives our behavior. It's not like my oldest son, who is just naturally a meek person. He is naturally timid and sweet-hearted and tender, but that's just a personality trait. This is talking about you can have a strong personality and still be meek, as Jesus describes it here. It's not the absence of assertiveness. It's being assertive or, or it's being having absence of self-assertion, of putting ourself forward. It's, it's using our power, our influence for God and for others, not to put ourselves forward. It's admitting that our sin disqualifies us and then grasping um, for to use whatever means we have for others, not for ourselves. Well, if that's the character of a disciple, there's something um, that that leads to. It leads to the next few things. We'll talk more about verse 6 because it's crucial. We'll talk about it more next week, but I just want to mention it. He says, if you're poor in spirit and you're mourning over your sin and it's causing you to be meek and you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's also going to cause you to be merciful. And it's also going to cause you to be pure in heart. And it's also going to cause you to be a peacemaker. And it's interesting, those last three are linked to the first three. He says, if you're poor in spirit, if you have a sense of the depth of your own sin, then you're going to be merciful. If you recognize your own sin, then you're going to start to see others' sins differently. You're going to start to be compassionate and tender towards those, knowing that, man, I struggle with that too. I know exactly where you're coming from there because I am a sinner too. And so it's going to drive us to be patient, to be helpful, to be willing to enter in with people, all of which describes a person of mercy. He said if you mourn over your sin, then it's going to lead to being pure in heart. If you are grieved over your sin and the sins of others, then it's going to push you to a single-mindedness to root sin out and be pure in heart and to be involved in others' lives, helping them, genuinely helping them to root sin out of their lives and to be involved in the society to help address the societal sins, to root sin out of society. The, the, the singleness of mind set on one thing, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If we see sin, if we hate sin, then we're going to try to rip it out. You seen that commercial uh, that's on right now that 
has the two guys, two look like college guys, and they're on a road trip, and they stop at this little joint, and they get this big, huge, these two huge meatball subs. And right in the window is where the grade of the restaurant and the health inspector is made, and there's a big A in the window, and they're sitting there eating. He's, he's, he's just tearing into this meatball sub, and as he's eating it in the background, the, the you know the sketchy looking guy takes down the A and puts up a grade C for the restaurant. And as <laughs> as his friend is seeing him change the A to C, and his friend is tearing into this meatball sub, he slaps it out of his hand. You know, it's, it's just it's like, oh no, you don't eat that. Decisive action because he knows where he's headed. He knows the result. It's a trite illustration, but it represents a little bit, a lot deeper of what we're supposed to, our attitude's supposed to be towards sin. Is if you know where it's headed, if you hate it, if you know what it's doing to you and to others around you, then you're going to be decisive in your action to rip it out, is what he's saying. And lastly, he says, if you're meek, if these things are causing a meek attitude and disposition in you, then you're going to be a peacemaker. Because no more are you looking at self-promotion or, um, or putting yourself forward so you're able to be at peace with others. What causes strife? What causes dissension? Well, it's you trying to assert your way and me trying to assert my way, and so we butt heads. If we no longer are grasping for our own rights, then we're going to automatically find ourselves at peace with others. And if we're, if we're not seeking our own advantage, then all of a sudden we're going to be available to help others make peace between each other because we're an impartial third party all of a sudden, not seeking our own advantage, but how can, how can I help you guys? Oh, you're fighting. Let me, see, let me see if I can jump in here. Dan Doriani talks about being a tennis coach in, uh, in St. Louis and having uh, a good team, but going to district and having two teams that were far superior fighting it out uh, for for first and second place and he said that it was obvious they were the top two teams and that they were calling the shots and the ins and outs themselves and they got to a point where the coaches were butting heads on whether this rule was applied rightly and they said they called him in and said hey listen you're obviously not going to win first or second place we are so you be the impartial judge here that's the picture here he's saying listen if you're meek if you're not out for your own advantage then all of a sudden you can be a peacemaker for others you can be used in that capacity Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Four. Now we haven't talked at all about the, the fours of these verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because if this is you, if you're a disciple and you're more and more recognizing your need of your sin, Jesus says, yours is going to be the kingdom of heaven. You're the kind of person that is a true follower of me. Blessed are those who mourn. If you're mourning over your sin, you're going to be comforted because I'll pay for that sin, is what he's saying. Blessed are the meek because you're going to inherit the earth. If this is your attitude, if you have the attitude, the character of a disciple that shows that you are following me, not trying to assert your own merit, your own record, but giving it up and following after me, then he's saying, hey, that's where, that's where things are headed. This new heavens and this new earth that we just spent weeks talking about. He said, it's going to be yours because you're a true follower. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're going to be satisfied. This hunger and this thirst 
for righteousness, for right things, for things to be set right, you're going to receive it. Blessed are the merciful because you're going to receive mercy. If this is your heart, this is who you are. Blessed are the pure in heart because you'll see God, this single-mindedness, this thing that you're all about. You're going to get it. And blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Just like God is the ultimate peacemaker, by doing what God does, you will be known as his sons and daughters. If your approach is that of Peter saying, I always thought the Bible of a list of rules, and I always thought the Sermon on the Mount as maybe the, the best example of Jesus' rules. If I could just follow these things, then I got it, and I'll gain acceptance to God. The message is the opposite. It's saying, no, what you need to know is your spiritual poverty so that you can grasp out for someone that can meet all of these things. If you're the Thomas that looks at these things and says, there's no way I can do that, then Jesus is saying, you're right, Thomas, you can't, but I did. So trust in me, in my merits on your behalf, and watch how in a relationship to me, in union with me, I empower you more and more to be like this. If you're the person that picks and chooses, that says, I like this over here, but I don't know about that over there. And what you're doing is you're setting yourself up as a God. You're saying, I'm the one that's going to come to this and decide what's right and what's wrong. And so you is the strongest one. Because Jesus promises us that he is the king. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying it's already started, it's already been inaugurated, and I'm coming again to complete that work. And if you're either trusting in one of two things, you're trusting in your own record that you're setting up yourself as God, okay, well, see if you meet up to this standard. Or you're trusting in me and my what I've done to meet that standard. The greatest example of the fact that Jesus is talking about followers and disciples here and that he has provided all that's needed is the example of Matthew himself who wrote these words and passed them down to us. He is actually called as a disciple after the fact, after the sermon. And so this has been passed down to him as something that is, is something that Jesus is, is, is taught on. And you see it in Matthew 9. Verse 9 says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Matthew himself is a perfect example of the kind of person that this sermon is written for. Sinners, people that know our need of a Savior, that are poor in spirit, that mourn over our sin so that it turns us away from him, that are meek, the attitude of meekness, not seeking our own advantage, and that drives us to mercy, to pureness of heart, and to be peacemakers in the world. And Jesus says, listen, hold up your life, disciple. 
next to this description of a disciple. And the places that it measures up, realize I've been doing that in your life. And the places it doesn't measure up, continue to reach out to me for grace and to pray for me to work these things in your life and watch me do it. I'll end with this. I talk about my children probably too much. But never in my life did I, when I, my kids were learning to walk, and they take their first steps and fall flat on their face, say, oh, come on. Walk. All you got to do is walk. It's right here in front of you. You only took two steps and you fell. What are you thinking? None of us would do that as parents, right? What do we do? Pull out the camera. He just took two steps. That was amazing. And we celebrate. and We have a little dance party in our living room because he took two steps. So we are children of God. This is written to the children of God, disciples. And Jesus is saying, come on, take some steps. And when he does, he celebrates. And he says, I'm right here and I've got you. And I'm going to continue to help you walk the things that I'm calling you to. I am the one who's doing this in you. And I will lovingly walk with you all the way. God, thank you. Thank you that you call us these things that you tell us you don't leave us in the dark you tell us what a blessed life looks like what the life of a disciple looks like god help us to be those that have a deep awareness of our own weakness our spiritual poverty that causes us to hate it hate sin and seek to root it out and that that produces us in us meekness and all the results that come from that and god in areas that we look at a, at a message like this, a, a passage like this, and see how far short we fall. Help us to grasp out all the more for grace, to grasp out all the more uh, to grab hold of Jesus, who has done all of these things, who is um, perfectly, who was perfectly meek, who was perfectly pure in heart and merciful, and all of these things that we just described. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.